The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight we discuss the cosmic egg and the primordial questions. Where are we? Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? Aristotle once said, He who seeks the truth must doubt everything. And even Descartes said, In order to determine whether we can know anything with certainty, we first have to doubt everything we know. And I hope we can doubt everything we have been taught in school and entertain new perspectives with an open mind. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. From the words of tonight's special guest, quote, I am a student of syncretism, which is the science of harmonizing the different teachings, cultures, sciences, religions, and philosophies from current schools of thought, as well as from the ancient mystery schools. Over the last couple of years, I have dedicated my life to trying to piece together the workings and mysteries of our collective reality. Where are we? What are we? Why are we here? And where are we going? The fundamental idea behind the syncretism is that the answers to these questions do not belong to any one culture, race, religion, or book, but in fact encoded across the full spectrum of our collective reality within this realm. My geocentric cosmic egg model is based on the idea that our entire universe is inside an electromagnetic egg-shaped torus field, with Earth running inside diametrically across it. It is my understanding that there are other lands, dimensions, and civilizations yet to be discovered across and within the plane of our Earth. His name is Martin Kenny, and his YouTube channel is linked at VeritasRadio.com. Martin joins us directly from Southampton, England, UK. Hello, Martin, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Um, hi, Mel. Uh, that was a fantastic intro. Thank you very, very much. I'm very humbled by your uh, your grand um, intro. I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> and you are not Martin Kenny, the Irish Sinn Féin politician, right? <laughs> no, no, far from it, far from it. Um, <laughs> I'm actually originally from from Africa. I'm originally a Zimbabwean. Okay. Well, you were highly, highly recommended by several people, by the way. And I did watch your presentations. And it's one of those things, folks, that sometimes you have to open your mind to new perspectives and completely shatter the paradigm of those things that you have been taught in school. So I hope that, like I said before, open your mind and entertain all this data. And I know it's going to probably be tough, Martin, because a lot of stuff, you put it in visuals. So we're going to just speak tonight and do it in a way where people can understand it. And later, after they listen to the interview, they can go to your to your YouTube channel and watch the presentations. But I'm very curious, how did this begin for you? What was your aha moment? Tell us about your story. Well, my story began about um, two years ago. Um, like most people today, I, uh, well, it began before that I got into conspiracy theories about five, six years ago. And, uh, it was all kicked off by, you know, questioning nine 11 and then the Sumerian text stuff came out, ancient aliens. Um, and I got heavily into that, but just more like a hobby more than anything else, entertainment just in my spare time. Uh, and then one day, um, I was perusing through the internet on, on YouTube, just looking for something to, to, um, to, to watch or, or fill in some space. And, uh, this, uh, flat earth, uh, video popped up on my suggestions. And like most people, I, I sort of sniggered and laughed off and thought, Oh my goodness, you know, is this for real? Like people actually believe the earth is flat. I can't believe this is even a topic. But I thought, well, as I'm doing nothing, I'll just watch it for entertainment value more than anything else. And um, by the way, during this time, I was going through a, a mental breakdown, I suppose. My life wasn't going too, 
too great at the time. Uh, might call it a midlife crisis. I was looking for something. I was feeling empty, the meaning of life. I just wasn't feeling great about life. And I was seeking or questioning, you know, what, what is the point? Why are we here? What is all of this? But anyway, the video came up. It was Dave Murphy doing the uh, Macedonian interview, Flat Earth. So I, I turned it on and I started watching and, and sniggering and laughing and mocking, you know, on my own. But within 15 minutes of watching it, as, as, as explaining, um, you know, the whole flat earth, uh, his perspective on it, um, many things sort of started to ring true. And I stopped laughing and I started paying a bit more attention. And I remember thinking to myself, why is this making sense? This should not be making sense because this is ridiculous. There is no way the earth is flat. There's no way. It's just not possible. But I thought, well, I'm just going to stick to it and listen to it because, you know, I claim to be open minded. So I'm going to entertain it. Uh, and after listening to that for the first hour, I was truly, truly well confused. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, this is uh, this is crazy. This is making more sense than it should. This is not as silly or as uh, ridiculous as I thought it was going to be. There's a lot of scientific proof in what he's saying. He's not a crazy guy. He sounds like a reasonably sane, intelligent man. So why is he saying these things, and where is this coming from? And uh, cut a long story short, I decided to go on a journey to try and debunk this flat earth, like most flat earthers do. Um, you know, I said, what, well, I'm going to prove that it's not flat, because I realized I knew nothing about the um, heliocentric model that we're taught. I knew very little of it. So as I was listening to Dave, he seemed to know a lot more about the heliocentric model, how big it is, how far away the sun is, how many rotations, how far away the moon is, how everything, all the details. And I thought, well, you know, he, he knows more than me. So why am I defending something that I know very little about? And that's where my journey began. So needless to say, after about, it didn't take me long, about uh, four or five days, um, it just became apparent to me that um, geocentric model of where we are makes way more sense than the heliocentric model. And as you know, Martin, uh, the flat earth topic is probably, if not the most divisive and, and controversial topic uh, these days, at least that's the way I see it. I get attacked by doing it all the time. I'm probably one of the few alternative radio people who discuss it with an open mind all the time. So we have people who love it and we have people who hate it. So those who hate it, please stand by. We have other topics to discuss next week. But for those who love it, well, this is going to be a great one. You know, even those who don't like to discuss the flat earth topic, we, they will enjoy our talk because we have discussed the inner earth, Shambhala, Hyperborea, mm -hmm. New yeah. Jerusalem, fill in the blanks. You know, This is important, and you discuss it too. Now, I'm going to start with a very powerful question that may not seem related, but I think you've found the answer. What is the meaning of life? So, for me, the meaning of life is to experience, to learn, to share, to grow, and then to move on. Those are the five... Um, core principles that I've I've tagged to the meaning of life. We are all here experiencing this reality. Every single one of us is experiencing something. No matter where you are on earth or in the universe, you are experiencing a reality of some kind. So there's meaning to that. The second part is learning. From the day you are conceived, the day you are born, you are on a journey of learning. You learn how to talk, how to walk, how to read, how to write. You learn about where you are, who you are, why you're here, your family. You're constantly learning. Even when you think you're not learning, you're learning every single day, every second, every moment. Um, the uh, third part is um, sharing. You know, we, as humans, we have an innate, um, you know, need to want to share, share information share knowledge, hence we are on these platforms. Facebook, telephones are, are big parts of our lives because we are a species of wanting to share. Um, and then there's, there's, there's growth. So again, with learning, with experience, with sharing, you are growing. 
and there's an element of decay. You, you, you are born, you live, you experience, you learn, you grow, and then we all die. That is the truth that we, we can all agree on. You know, there's no conspiracy theory there. Every one of us is going to pass on to something else um, that's not this reality into another reality of some kind. So that's the, the moving on part. And that's how I explain the meaning of life. Does this give space to the concept? And again, folks, you know I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. But the concept of reincarnation, creation, experience, growth, and moving on, almost like a reset. Do we start again? Absolutely. That is my understanding for sure. Um, you know, and all cultures and all religions pretty much allude to this if you read them in the right context, for sure. Uh, the Bible, the Vedic scriptures, um, all ancient spiritual cultures, the, the, the Dogon tribes, the Kemetic Egyptians, the Nordics, the Celtics, they all talked about this concept of reincarnation coming back. Um, so for sure, there is a, that whole thing of growing and moving on. Every time you incarnate, you are a better version of what you were in your previous life, or you should be. Uh, this is where things, concepts like karma come into effect, uh, universal laws. Um, come into effect. So there are many things at play. Um, and this karma thing, I think, is a good one to tag because this also plays into why we've been lied to about where we live because it has a lot to do with controlling this reincarnation concept. I will dive into your presentation in a moment, but this is probably the most frequently asked question that I get from people who discuss this topic of the flat earth. Why? Why are they keeping it secret? If it's true, and I haven't seen the ball, mm -hmm. I haven't seen the, the concave earth, I have not seen the egg, but I'm open-minded. Why the secrecy, if there's indeed a secrecy taking place right now? Well, like all secrets and all lies that we're told, power and control. Knowledge is power. If you limit knowledge, you have the power you control um, whoever you're limiting that knowledge from so um, <laughs> to cut a long story short there was a time when everyone knew that the earth was flat and everyone knew the true construct of where we are and the magnificence of where we are uh, unfortunately the flat earth because we're only starting to rediscover this truth um, the information is very limited but this earth is far larger and far more diverse than even the heliocentric model promotes because the spinning ball model actually promotes that we are alone. We're on this ball, we're lost in space, and there's nothing else, and only the authorities can save us. NASA will find um, extraterrestrial lands and extraterrestrial beings and technologies and government. So we're reliant on authority. So we have no choice but to, to follow. However, when you know the true construct of our flat earth and you realize that there are lands here on earth beyond uh, in places that we haven't rediscovered yet, that there are beings that live on this vast plane, not so far away from where we are, you then realize how it's easy to or why it's necessary for the controllers or the elite who've been running this realm to lie to us. Um, about about where we are, but also on a spiritual level, um, it is my understanding or my understanding rather that um, the laws of reincarnation um, dictate that um, we all have free will. We're all free to choose, but we're not free from the consequences of our choices. So, for instance, um, if 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 I died right now. Um, I, I think the universe would ask me, what do I want? This is the scenario that I picture. This is hypothetical. It's theoretical. I'm not saying it's fact, but this is how I've come to understand it. You are then asked, what do you want to do? Because you have free will. Now, if I only know that I live on a spinning ball and this is the only place that I know, this is what I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to come back to Earth because I don't believe there's anything else in the universe or anywhere else in the universe to go, right? I've limited my choices. So that's a choice I've imprisoned myself back 
to this place. However, if you know that there are other lands, Hyperborea, Shambhala, Eden, you know, you know, other beings and civilizations, you can choose to experience a different reality in your next incarnation. Right? So you now have freedom of choice. You have more choice. But no one can give you that choice. You have to make that choice. So knowledge is power. Control the knowledge. You have the power. You control the people. So why is it that we believe that the ancient ones were these soulless savages, and in reality they knew more about the universe than we do today, or did they? Yes, they certainly, certainly did. I think it's becoming more and more apparent. Uh, many researchers are starting to uh, conclusively, uh, you know, prove that the ancient civilizations were far more advanced than we are today. You know, the pyramids in Egypt, all the pyramids around the world, basically. Um, Sumerian texts, um, you know, all the mythologies about um, Vimanas, spaceships, uh, beings that once visited the earth, um, technologies that we have forgotten. So definitely in past ages, we were uh, a lot more advanced than we are now. It is also my understanding that everything is cyclical. We go through cycles, just like we have seasons here on earth. We have summer, we have autumn, we have spring, we have winter. We also have seasons of consciousness. So the Vedics speak about the four yuga cycles, um, the golden age, the silver age, the bronze age, and the iron age. Those are seasons here on earth in our universe that we go through. So what we've been through recently, or what we are in now, is the Iron Age. We're in the Dark Age. We're in the winter of consciousness. Hence, the world is such an ugly place. It's cold. We're frozen at the moment, consciously. So we are at the lowest peak of consciousness. So even though we tend to think we are far more superior than past cultures, we're not. We might be more technologically advanced, but technology, intellect, and gnosis knowledge are two different things. Just because you have technology does not make you more superior. Um, those are things we, we, we have to be very careful about. Uh, there's artificial intelligence and there's natural intelligence. So we've lost natural intelligence and we've somewhat gained artificial intelligence. And even that's been limited, by the way. So now we're on the upward curve. We're now starting to awaken. Hence this whole thing of the awakening. We are starting to rediscover things. We're starting to wake up to, to many things that have been hidden from us for, you know, thousands of years. We are, we're waking up because we're ascending consciously, heading out of the dark age, the winter of consciousness into, um, the autumn, the, uh, the bronze age, as the Vedic Indians would say. I'm glad you talk about the yugas and the cycles because I'm a firm believer. And again, I don't know I, this one. I'm going to believe because I don't have the facts. But when I look at the megaliths around the world, the pyramids and everything else, I think they must have had technology that we cannot even come close to today. And we've tried to replicate a lot of these accomplishments and we just cannot. So I think that perhaps something happened, a dark age, a cataclysm that wiped out the knowledge that was there available to us at the time. And either it disappeared and we, we began, we did a reset. So we started from stick and sticks and stones again, or they actually hid the information from us. And that's what we're separated by languages, by cultures, by everything else that keeps us separate today. Your take on that. I 100% agree with everything you've just said. It's a bit of both actually. So there was a reset. There was a, a cataclysm of some sort that happened where we descended from the Golden Age into the Iron Age as we fell. And there were a few people who call themselves the Illuminati or the Watchers who, for some reason, whatever reasons, they, they kept some of this knowledge. They knew a lot of this knowledge. But instead of sharing it with the survivors of this cataclysm, they decided to keep it within their own close circles. Again, knowledge is power, so they could control this new paradigm that we're coming into. So all the souls that were born during the time after the cataclysm would only know what they are taught by those that are already there. And those that are already there, um, the ones in control, will have the knowledge. So you will only know what you are taught. 
and history is so easy to rewrite. It's his story. History is written by the victors, those with the knowledge. And that is exactly what happened. So we fell from, from grace. We fell from this golden age that we were once in. And we've been in this dark age, um, according to the Vedics, for uh, six, uh, six, 12,000 years, something like that. And we're only starting to ascend back upwards now, um, back towards the golden age. And it's just like what you said about 9-11. It's one of those wake-up moments. Now, maybe in a generation, nobody will know what happened to Building 7. Nobody will know that Flight 93 was supposed to crashed in that building, but it was shut down midair, and that's what they had to, quote-unquote, pull it. But just as one example, in a generation, nobody will know about that. Now, let's dive into your work because I think it's fascinating. And the part that fascinates me the most, folks, is those layers, those rings outside of our so-called realm. And we'll discuss that. And I think that perhaps that UN Antarctic Treaty from 1961, instead of uh, preserving the flora and the fauna of that area, in reality, they're just protecting the doors. So who knows if those wardens that are keeping us in, I don't want to get ahead, but it's almost like quarantine, but we'll discuss that later. Now, how does the universe look like from a geocentric point of view? So it's my uh, understanding that, um, like I said, the Earth is uh, is certainly flat and motionless as far as I'm concerned. Um, but we're not just in free space in the middle of nowhere. Um, like a lot of flat Earthers um, are still stuck on that paradigm that it's flat, there is a dome above us, and that's it. So I, I decided to go a step further and say there has to be a lot more to it. And uh, after doing quite a bit of research, I realized that a lot of ancient cultures talked about um, life beginning in an egg, which is what we observe in nature. So um, this egg turns out to be an electromagnetic torus field. So again, a lot of the ancient cultures speak about this egg being um, uh, covered by an egg, the Ouroboros. If you look at Hebrew texts, um, the, uh, uh, the Orphean egg in Greek mythology had this coiled snake around it um, in Kemetic Egypt. Um, the serpent Apep wrapped his arms around uh, the egg of the universe. So you see this snake and egg concept um, to do with, with creation. And when I looked further into it, I realized that whenever you see a snake in ancient cultures, it's always depicting energy. So, you know, so, so putting that into context, um, that, that energy, this egg is an electromagnetic torus field that is cocooning us inside this universe with the outside, what we might call the multiverse. So outside this egg is the multiverse. And there are many, many other eggs, according to uh, Vedic scriptures, um, uh, mainly. Um, so we're not the only universe. There are many, many other cosmic eggs inside the multiverse. But within our construct, um, we are bang in the middle. We are at the heart of this egg. Heart is an anagram for, for Earth, Earth heart. So we are right in the middle of this, the egg. We are the nucleus of this cosmic egg, this electromagnetic torus field. Now, this Earth that we're standing on is extremely vast. The Vedics say it's about 4 billion miles across. So they give a specific figure. Um, they say it's about 4 billion miles across. Um, and it's divided into four concentric rings, right? So at the center, in the middle, is what we might call um, the Garden of Eden, Hyperborea, Shambhala, um, you know, the, many names have been given to this, to this uh, sacred place at the center. And I think at the moment, it's a crater continent, and that's at the North Pole, as far as we're concerned, from our viewpoint, where we are. Where Mount Meru so is, crater- the magnetic mountain? Yes, where Mount Meru is. So there's a crater continent there, the Garden of Eden, and it wasn't always a crater. I think at some stage something happened and uh, during the cataclysm and it, 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 uh, it became a crater. Uh, but, you know, well, that, that's a whole different story. Um, but you've got the center and then you've got our realm where we are. And then outside us, there is the South Pole, which is the um, Antarctica, which is a ring of uh, ice that encircles um, our part of the realm, 
And beyond that, there is another uh, ring of land. And beyond that, there is a last ring of land. Now, all these lands are cocooned or covered by smaller electromagnetic torus fields. So like we said, the cosmic egg is one big giant electromagnetic torus field. And then there's a smaller electromagnetic torus field and then a smaller one and a smaller one, similar to those Russian dolls. So each realm is cocooned by electromagnetic torus field. Now, NASA um, and a lot of mainstream science, they tell us half-truths. So they're not complete liars, like a lot of flat earthers tend to believe that, oh, NASA, everything's a lie that you're told. I don't think so. They usurp the truth. They twist the truth. They tell us half-truths. So NASA quite clearly tells us that the Earth is covered uh, by Van Allen belts, an electromagnetic field, <laughs> right? So they're telling us a half-truth. So this electromagnetic field or Van Allen belt is is the belt that's outside in the um, Antarctica, beyond the ice wall. But there's a smaller one at the center, which we see and we call the Aurora Borealis. That Aurora Borealis is an electromagnetic torus field cocooning the central continent at the center, Hyperborea or Shambhala. Um, I don't know if that uh, if, if if that's making sense. I hope I've not lost it. No, 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 no. That's exactly where I wanted to go. But when it comes to the toroidal fields around each layer, are they yep. domes where they're in, you cannot penetrate them, or can you? Let's yep. say you and I had a vehicle that allowed us to go to the to the outer layer, the the, the outer layer, the the Antarctic, any part of the of the ring, yep. and we're able to just go up. Do we crash into that dome or can we go above the ice sheet until we go to a to a place we can see ocean? There's another sun and we'll discuss this. This is incredibly important, folks. So I hope you stay with us when we go to the other side and we see that there's an ocean heated by another sun and another moon. Is is this possible? Or do we have the electromagnetic field that pen that does not allow us to penetrate? Or do they have entrances around the world? And this is what the Antarctic Treaty is so powerful. Eleven nations, now it's over 60 or 70 of them. Are they just guarding those entrances or exits? Yes, certainly. So I think there are certainly uh, openings um, that we can pass through. Um, that are These are the openings that are guarded and kept secret. Um, but I think the electromagnetic field, according to NASA, we cannot go past the Van Allen belts. NASA categorically says this. Humans, we do not have the technology to go past the Van Allen belts. So how do we get to the moon? So, good question. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> question. Um, this is the biggest contradiction that, uh, you know, when you do the research, you realize that, you know, everything we're told is just not making sense as far as... Uh, uh, the heliocentric model. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so, so NASA says we can't go past the Van Allen belts, human beings. We've not been able to, uh, uh, create technology to do so. So I don't think we can just yet, but I do think there must be openings or maybe tunnels through the ice wall where we can bypass the electromagnetic field or, or, or something because there are stories of people who've apparently gone uh, beyond these lands and found these places. Admiral Byrd uh, being right. one of them. He's been to the North Pole and the Antarctica and he's, and he's seen lands, um, extraterrestrial lands, uh, both on the outside and on the inside. Um, so, so for sure, they are guarding entrances. They are the gatekeepers. <laughs> That's the true meaning of that word, gatekeepers of this realm. Now you said an interesting word, extraterrestrial. It makes you yeah. wonder if all these craft, and I have no reason to doubt anybody, and I've seen a few of those myself, those craft that we see and people see all the time, could it be that they are from those outer layers and perhaps there's an agreement? Look, you have to be stealthy. You cannot interact with people. Just you can go and be a tourist, but go back. Yeah. Do you think that those yeah. are the quote-unquote extraterrestrials that people see? Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes way more sense. Um, you know, if you, if you believe that we have been visited by extraterrestrials in the past, in the future, or, 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 or now, this model makes more sense than the, than the heliocentric model. Because 
it it, it they, they're closer to home right and the word itself extraterrestrial if you break down that word extra means what more of terrestrial the root word of terrestrial is terrain land so they're telling us the truth extraterrestrials are beings from extra terrains of land from where we are so for sure there is a, a galactic agreement of some sort i think where these beings um, um, possibly are allowed to uh, we interact with one another or on a government level but uh, they're not allowed to interfere as we are not allowed to interfere with them we're sort of just um, left to get on with our with our business separately again i think that uh, that the whole thing of the the 12 universal laws um free will you know unless we consent and we choose to interact with them they are not allowed to interact with us and they know they're not allowed to break these universal laws because there are consequences with breaking these universal laws just imagine folks what if what we think of atlantis lemuria and all other advanced civilizations and perhaps even egypt Perhaps this was a, a branch of their headquarters being somewhere else that allegedly populated uh, our Earth, are in fact over there. Yeah. What if this section where we are, Martin, is quarantined? Think of a prison. Think of a prison colony like Iowa, what Australia used to be. What if our layer mm -hmm. is a prison and we would, you know, and where would the wardens be, on our side or on the other side? <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. On both sides. So there are the gatekeepers, those that are working for those that are imprisoning us over here. Uh, so these are the gatekeepers, the elites, the so-called elites that we talk about. Um, and uh, many of us will be familiar with the terms like reptilians. The reptilians are amongst us. Um, so I think there are beings maybe that are reptilian looking or have, re I don't know, but that are the true rulers that have been ruling this realm secretly behind closed doors and using um, our politicians and uh, people in high power to keep us jailed or keep us um, quarantined um, on this part of our vast and beautiful, beautiful plane. Uh, and who's to say that beings maybe in these other lands maybe are also being imprisoned at the moment in the Dark Age? Who's to say that they are also not uh, going through their own conscious awakening and also saying to their own governments, you know, we need to reunite with our lost long lost cousins you know the Lim the lemurian races the hyperborean races the uh polarian races all kind of other races that might be out there um who are all saying we need to reunite and 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 uh and get back to our long lost uh cousins all over the universe let's theorize for a moment let's just speculate i know that you you, you like to to deal with specifics here but just i will speculate for a moment Imagine for a moment if life originates from the center, from Eden, mm -hmm. from Hyperborea, and then we start going outwards. And we're here in this yeah. quarantine and that we call uh, Earth, if you want to call it, or Gaia. And then after a while, what some people consider ascension, 4D mm -hmm. or 5D or whatever, it's actually the next layer. And we, instead of ascending to another dimension, we actually ascend to the next layer and we leave all those things behind as we progress and we evolve into a new reality. And that's the next level and the next level. Absolutely. So on a spiritual level now, um, for sure, that is my, my, my perspective as well. That is my hypothesis as well. Again, a lot of this stuff is hypothetical. So I'm going to reiterate that so no one attacks me and says, oh, you're just making stuff up. I kind of am. Right. But I'm trying, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying, given the resources and the information we have, I'm trying to paint a picture that at least makes sense because we're, we've not been told the truth. We can all agree on that. If you're listening to this radio show, you will agree that we have been lied to about pretty much everything, really. So the only thing we can do is try and piece the, the, the puzzle pieces together to paint a picture that at least makes sense, given the information we have. But anyway, uh, going back to the topic, um, yeah, on a spiritual level, for sure, this is the moving on part. Um, all these different realms are different dimensions with different frequencies, with different levels of consciousness, with different experiences, um, um, 
Um, some are lower vibratory frequency realms, some are higher vibratory uh, frequency realms, but certainly everything begins from the center, the heart. Everything always begins from the heart, from the center. So the Garden of Eden, or the central realm, is the highest vibrational frequency. This is where you want to be going, really, if you're ascending. This is where the goal should be. And I think the further you are away from the center and the further away you go to the outer lands, the less, the more dense it becomes. Um, the more, I don't think they're hellish or, 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 or um, evil places, but I think the less spiritual those places are, the more technological they are. So when I watch a lot of movies with all these um, highly advanced technology, like the recent one, um, Altered Carbon, that came out on Netflix, yeah. I imagine this is what these outer realms are like. Very highly technological, but zero spirituality. They've completely disconnected from, any, from nature, from spirituality. Everything is um, artificial, AI, um, which is where we're heading. They're trying to prepare us for that. You can see that. Um, in our everyday reality um, at the moment. So I think uh, this is where the Game of Thrones is being played. Um, you know, they're trying to keep as many people um, as possible on a low vibrational frequency, um, trying to throw technology in our faces so we disconnect from nature, so we don't ascend to these higher realms, uh, the central realm. Or maybe even stay here because this place is, is, is raising the vibration. They want people to go to these outer lands, to Mars, um, as we will go to, as we'll explain a bit later. Um, so they want people to, to leave this realm where we are now and to go to outer space, the space outside where we are, the extraterrestrial lands beyond where we are, um, where it's a lot more dense and a lot more disconnected from, from, from nature. That was my next thought. Martin, conversely, I was mentioning how the outer layers could be more advanced than us, but what if the more outer you are, the less evolved you are, and it's our journey of going to the layers until we get to the center? Yes, absolutely. So as far as I'm concerned, the, the, the cycle of life, all these layers, we all have to go through them, every single one of us. So the Vedics talk about... Um, the 14 realms inside the cosmic egg, inside the Brahmanda. There are 14 realms. And every soul has to experience every reality and every realm and every everything. You have to experience it all in order for you to have a full virtual reality of this, uh, of this cosmic egg. So whilst I say all that, um, there are some people who have to go to these places because they have not been there. So I term it as there are fallen angels and they are shooting stars. So fallen angels are going downwards, down and out, because they're coming from the center. These are the gatekeepers. They, 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 they started as the, the angels at the center, and then they moved out to where we are. They are now the gatekeepers here, and they'll be moving out to the outer realms and so forth and so forth. And some of us are shooting stars. We're coming spiritually from these outer realms, and we're moving towards the center. So there's like an ebb and flow of energy that is happening um, on a spiritual level. Uh, this is now, we're now going into metaphysical realities and not the physical um, um, construct. Are you literally saying, because many people, again, write to me saying, Mel, how do you explain media, meteorites? How do you explain all these shooting stars? What are shooting stars yeah. in your opinion? Well, I think shooting stars are souls that are traveling the cosmos. So going back to the cosmic egg model, uh, you know, I explained that the, we're inside a torus field and egg. We're diametrically across the center of this egg. And we are inside these concentric rings of land that are cocooned in these concentric um, uh, rings of torus fields. And above the last one is what is known as the firmament, the sky. So when you look up, you're looking up at a roof, basically. This is the firmament that is sealing us. Um, these are the waters above, spoken of in many religious texts. Uh, and these are the heavens. So when we pass over, your soul um, goes into these higher dimensional realms 
So when, again, like you're saying, when you see a shooting star, I think these are souls that are traveling the cosmos and going from realm to realm. A shooting star may be um, traveling from one realm into another or falling, a fallen angel, falling from one realm into a lower realm. That's my understanding. Now, when we think of religion, especially Christianity, we always think of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> but this is something yeah. else too, right? Yes, 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 absolutely. So this, uh, all religions, as far as I'm concerned, and many syncretists and many people who, are, who have uh, mystics who have studied this in detail will tell you that religion, um, religious texts are, are, are truth, but they're not factual. So again, the Bible is a book of truth, but it's not a factual book. There are no facts in the Bible. Not one thing is a fact. But everything is true if you read it in the right context. It's all allegorical. It's all um, in parables. It's in stories. So, for instance, when they talk about Jesus, the son of uh, uh, man, uh, the son of God, they're talking about the son. Jesus, the son of God. We are all God collectively. Every single being in existence is God. Is, uh, is a drop in the ocean of consciousness. And God is basically energy, electromagnetic energy. That is all that God is. It's not some being with a beard sitting in a cloud somewhere, like many religious people think. God is energy. Everything is energy. So when we go back to that concept of the Holy Trinity, uh, the Vedics explain it the best. They talk about um, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. So they say... In this universe, all energy is divided into three things. Um, creative energy, um, energy of sustenance, and energy of destruction. So Brahma is creative energy. Vishnu is um, energy of sustenance, of life. And Vishnu is the energy of destruction, duality. Now, when you look even deeper into it, and you look at all the other cultures syncretically, you realize that every single ancient culture has a triad of gods. Every culture, you know, you go to the, the Greeks, they talk about uh, uh, Fanes and Zeus and Poseidon. Um, when you go to uh, um, the, Christ, uh, the Christians, they talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even mainstream science, protons, neutrons, electrons. There's always a holy trinity everywhere across the board. So this is where that, that Holy Trinity comes in. Now, I like to think of it as electromagnetic uh, pulses of sine wave. So electricity, vibration, and magnetism. That is what everything is made up of. That is what God is. That is what all reality is. All reality is electromagnetic pulses of sine wave. Your soul, the true you, this flesh that we're in, is an avatar, it's a meat suit, it's not the real us. The real us is the electromagnetic energy, the conscious energy that is within us, that is interacting um, through these physical bodies and physical constructs that we're in. Um, so uh, I, I hope that's making sense. Yeah, oh, of course, and Tesla said it best too. If you want to learn the secrets of the universe, think in terms of frequency and vibration. Now, here's another question, the number three. 33, 33.3. Why is the number three so important in the universe and the number four also? Yes, yeah, so the number three is important for, for the reasons I've just explained, that everything's divided into three. Protons, neutrons, electrons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, etc., etc., etc. So this is where that three comes in. So everything is divided into 33.33333%. Um, you know, in, by three makes 100%, makes the whole. This is where you get that Freemasonic 33. This is why they worship the number 33, because they understand uh, this concept of everything being in threes, this triad of um, electricity, vibration, and, uh, 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 and sound. Um, so that's where three comes from. And the number four, according to a lot of um, esoteric teachings, um, is in relation to form. Um, so four is always uh, when you look at the physical world, uh, everything is in fours. When you look at the spiritual world, everything is in threes. Uh, for instance, you look at the four cardinal points, north, 
south, east, and west. Four. You look at the four seasons, summer, winter, spring, uh, autumn. You look at the four phases of the moon. You look at the four times of the day, right? Sunrise, sunset, uh, midnight, midday. You look at um, everything's in fours, even our, our reality. Four corner houses, four-sided uh, tables, uh, cars have four wheels. There are so many fours in our reality, in our physical reality. Four is the number of form. Again, this is why I've, I've, when I created this cosmic egg, I divided the, the earth into four concentric rings of land because that is what nature is dictating. That is what the science of nature is dictating. So my point of reference is always nature. Um, you know, I don't look to books anymore. If I want to find truth in anything, uh, first I seek it within myself and then I confirm it with nature. What is nature telling me? What do I observe? Because the sun never lies. The moon doesn't lie. Water does not lie. The oceans don't lie. The trees don't lie. If you observe the science of nature, you will discover the truth of our reality. So again, that number four is everywhere within our physical form. And according to the mystics, the number three is related to the metaphysical um, construct of our reality. Here's another question that we get all the time. Oh, if the earth is flat, how does gravity exist? I don't see why it, it wouldn't. It would make no difference to me either or. But what's gravity yeah. and what causes it? So gravity does exist, but it's not a physical gravity. There's something called transcendental gravity. So remember we're saying that our souls, when you pass on into the spirit world, your soul gravitates towards where you're meant to be going. So when, you're that, when you see those shooting stars in the sky, they are being drawn by electromagnetic gravity. They're gravitating to where they're meant to be going. But in this physical construct that we're in, again, we're told half-truths, gravity does not need to exist if the earth is a plane, right? Up is up, down is down, just like our senses tell us, just like our everyday reality tells us, right? I am down because of mass, weight, and buoyancy, right? Those are things we can test. They're not theories. There isn't a theory of mass or a theory of weight. They're facts. But gravity is a theory. Why is it still a theory? Why isn't it just a fact? Because they're not telling us the truth of what gravity really is. They're telling us a half-truth. So they have to make it theoretical. They have to tell us uh, the truth within the lie. Um, so on a flat, motionless plane, um, I'm down because my weight or my mass is denser than the air around me. If you fill me up with helium, I would become lighter than the air around me and I would rise off the ground, right? I would become buoyant. So that in itself is a basic fundamental scientific uh, proof that gravity cannot exist because gravity cannot, uh, unless you're saying gravity is magical, it's got the power to pull all the oceans, you know, flat to the surface but it allows birds and butterflies and aeroplanes and helium balloons and smoke to freely rise off the ground. I mean, that in itself is mind-boggling how, how we don't question that. So it would be, actually be density. I've seen these videos yes. of a, a, a location where they actually enclose it and they, they create a vacuum. And then they throw, yeah. have you seen it, a bowling ball and a feather, and they both fall exactly at the same speed. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. I have. I think it was Brian Cox who did that experiment, right. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's proof. But you see how sneaky they are. They say that's proof of gravity. But actually, they're proving buoyancy and, and mass. That's what they're doing. That whole vacuum experiment is proving buoyancy and mass. It's not proving gravity. That's, gravity does not exist in physical form. It's, there's no need for it. Because again, if we're living on a geocentric, flat and motionless plane, um, then it only makes sense that um, the laws that govern um, uh, why we're upright, why we are not floating off into space um, is, is weight, mass and buoyancy and nothing else. 
Well, that's another one that I get all the time from people saying, well, if you have a tennis ball and you, you know, put it underwater, get it out and spin it at a thousand miles per hour, all that water would be displaced and would be, the, the, the ball would become dry eventually. How is it that if we're spinning at a thousand miles per hour, our lakes and in quiet afternoon, there's no movement, there's no sound. We feel like we're just staying calm. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, Mel. Um, you know, the proofs are just, I mean, there are many people who, may, who are making videos and doing experiments. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's for me, I've stopped even trying to prove that the earth is flat. It's just, uh, you know, I You're almost forget that. sometimes that are, I'm beyond that. I almost forget that there are people who still believe the earth is a ball. There are times when I think, oh my gosh, yeah, there are people who think the earth is a ball. I've, I've, I've gone so far down, it's not even a question for me anymore. I'm now seeking things beyond beyond trying to prove that the Earth is flat, because it, it, it obviously is. There's, there's no argument as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but there are people out there who are making fantastic videos and, and, uh, and trying to, uh, to, to, to change the paradigm and to get to people to, to wake up to this huge, humongous uh, deception that has been force-fed um, to the masses. It's a big spell. It, it, it literally is a magic spell. Um, you know, when I think back to when I uh, believed it, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I can't believe I, I, I believed it. I can't see. It's almost like it wasn't me. Like, the, how did I fall for it? How did I not see the truth? How is it possible? That's how it feels for me. And that's how I see that we've, you know, it, it's magic, basically. And David Wilcox did a, uh, a, 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 an interview um, where he talks about how these elites do use uh, magic uh, to, to, to keep us under control. It's all a form. Television is a form of magic. Basically, it's brainwashing. It's programming. You know, uh, you, know you watch TV. The whole heliocentric model was cemented, I think, for sure, after World War II. I think before... World War Two, World War One and Two in the late 1800s. Not I think there's actually proof for it. Um, more people knew the Earth was flat than we are told. Um, most people were were flat earthers pre World War One. In fact, if you Google a name uh, John Gorst, if you go on Google and you Google John Gorst, April um, 29, uh, 1901, I think. A load of newspaper articles come up about a man called John Gorst. He was a, a headmaster at a school here in England, not far, far from where I live in Portsmouth. And the article went viral all over the world. How do you spell ghost? G-O-S-T? Uh, G-O-R-S-T. Gorst. Oh, a life and, of Sir uh, John Eldon Gorst. Yeah. That's, that's the one. The city council um, wanted to take him to court for teaching the globe model, fake science to his kids. They were saying, why are you teaching them that we live on a ball? You're teaching them fake science. So when you look at that, you think, oh my goodness, are they saying that schools were teaching flat earth science in 1901? You know, that in itself blew my mind. You know, it makes you question, maybe World War I and II were, were created to, to change that shift. And if you noticed, straight after World War II, television came in right and then we saw the moon landings and of course after that it was irrefutable no one can now argue that the earth is a ball because we've seen it on tv i've seen it with my own eyes on tv so it must be a ball magic and everyone falls for it and of course everyone who's born after that it's now in the schools it's you see how easy it is to change the reality um that you're in within a very very short space of time so we're told it was the 1500s with Copernicus and so on, right? Is yep. that what uh, the whole thing is? But in reality, this could be that in the as early as the 1900s, yep. people still believe the earth was flat. And I even saw a video of somebody interviewing, I believe it was a Eastern European, and this lady must be in her 40s, I think it was. And yep. she was saying, in Eastern Europe, we still discuss the flat earth as if it was part of our history. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, um, for sure. I think, uh, you know, everything is up for questioning now. Our history, um, you know, anything pre-100 years ago, 
I think is completely different to what we think it is. I think everything we were taught after World War II is nothing like the reality that it was in the 1800s. Our, you know, life in the 1800s, you know, there are people now um, uh, discovering that there was electricity as early as the 1700s, whereas free energy, you know, there's this Russian guy, I don't know if, you, if you've seen him, Philip Drugini, I think he's called. He's digging yes, up I have. all these images and these photos and of, of what looks like free energy. You know, from these church towers and the Eiffel Tower looked like it was some sort of uh, um, energy device where people are charging uh, devices or cars or whatever it is on these towers. So it's almost like we've actually gone backwards after World War One and Two. We're now backwards to where we were going pre World War One and Two. Yeah, like all these people. Look at Tesla. Where does he come from? Yep. Where does the Ed Lee's Conan, you probably know the story of the yes. Coral Castle. Yep. Where do they come from? Latvia. All these countries in Eastern Europe. I wonder if they kept all those secrets and they knew about it. And those who came that immigrated to the United States kept them. But the elite made sure with wars mm -hmm. to completely eradicate that knowledge. And only a few people were allowed to use it without disseminating the knowledge. Absolutely, Mel. And again, this is why flat earth is so important. Because when you look at free energy, going back to um, the torus fields, the torus fields are electromagnetic torus fields, right? And free energy, like Tesla said, is electromagnetism, right? So if everyone knows that the earth is flat and we're surrounded by a field of energy that is an electromagnetic torus field, and we can tap into that electromagnetic torus field for free energy, then the controllers go out of business. There's no need for oil anymore. There's no need for, you know, all these, uh, it, it all goes absolutely. We, 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 we're tapping directly into free energy. So of course, there's the thing of money. This is why we've been told we live on a ball because it kills the whole free energy topic completely. Now, we have to take a one and only break, but let me end this segment with this, and we'll take it on the other side. Folks, you have to listen to part two. Let me just mention this. So let me understand this. At the center, there is Mercury over the North Pole, or the magnetic mountain called Mount Meru. Meru. The next toroidal field or layer is where we are with our sun, Apollo, and moon, Artemis. Then we have two more layers. They have their own sun and moon. And check this out, folks. Mars and Venus are the next layers, sun and moon. And the last layer, or the widest layer, with Jupiter and Saturn as its sun and moon, or vice versa. Is this correct? Yes, that is my uh, understanding of it. Let's dissect this when we come back. Now, folks, you have to watch Martin's presentations, go to our website. There's a link there to his YouTube channel. Is there any other link, website, of how people can learn more about your work, Martin? Um, no, unfortunately. Um, I'm just active on YouTube and, uh, uh, and Facebook. Uh, I do a lot of uh, work on Facebook as well. Uh, but um, for those who are not aware uh, or don't know about Santos Bonacci, I think he's also a very good point of reference. Uh, for oh, long. he's a good friend of this show. Absolutely. We've had him many times. A good friend. Excellent. I know he's a big influence on you. Oh, certainly. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, when I discovered the flat earth uh, and I was looking for that next step, it seemed like Santos was the only one who was that far ahead. Um, in terms of, um, you know, asking the deeper, deeper mystical questions, um, you know, and uh, yeah, and he definitely um, uh, helped influence uh, this cosmic egg that I've, I've, I've come to build. A lot of his knowledge and uh, I've learned a lot off him. So folks, when you look up at the sky at night and you see Venus and Mars, change your perspective. What if those are a moon and a sun for another layer? Same thing with Saturn and Jupiter. We'll discuss this when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm here with Martin Kenny. Much more when we return. You're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere.
Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.